Since it is Easter, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And in order to do that today, I wanted to start off by reflecting on one of my favorite TV shows of all time, The Twilight Zone. Are there any Twilight Zone fans in here? A few of you, maybe, if you've seen it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 a old, it's an old series. It's from the 50s and 60s, and it was, uh, it was like a sci-fi show. They always told these short, strange stories that always ended in some kind of crazy twist, right? They were doing Shyamalan way before Shyamalan did. And uh, so one of my all-time favorite episodes was one called To Serve Man. And at the beginning of the episode, aliens come to Earth, and they give us an unlimited, cheap, renewable energy source. They give us something that you can put in soil, so even like in the desert, you can grow as many crops as you want. And then they give us like these force fields where bombs and guns can't explode. So there's, there's no war, and within, within weeks of their arrival, Earth has been transformed into a paradise. And there's no more want, there's no more need, there's no more war. And at first, everyone's a little suspicious, right? But eventually, everyone just kind of enjoys the gifts that the aliens give them. And there's only one guy. It's a guy named Lloyd. He is a linguist with the Department of Defense. And he's wondering, what do these aliens actually want? Like, what's their hidden agenda? Because Lloyd lives in a world where there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? So he's convinced that these aliens must have some sort of ulterior motive. They must have some kind of a secret agenda. Uh, but everyone else is telling him, man, relax. Like, you're being way too paranoid. Like, they're just, they're just more advanced and kind than us. Well, they get their hands on a book that one of the aliens actually accidentally leaves laying around. It's like their, their manual for their trip to Earth. And uh, the linguists are finally, after weeks and weeks of work, able to translate the cover of the book. The title of the book is To Serve Man. <coughs> to Serve Man. And everyone's saying, see, Lloyd, you're being crazy. They just want to serve us. How, how nice is that? You're, you just relax. And so uh, eventually they launch a cultural exchange program where they're going to actually bring people from Earth and send them across the stars to the alien homeworld. And Lloyd ends up as one of the people who's going to go. And he's getting ready to board the ship. And then as he's just about to get into the spaceship, uh, one of his uh, coworkers comes running over. And she says, Lloyd, don't get on the ship. Don't get on the ship. We managed to translate the first page of the book. And it's a cookbook. Oh! And then he's forced to be on the ship. And then the last scene is him hurtling through space, reflecting on the fact that in this world, you either are the one who is consuming or you're the one who's being consumed. Uh, a super creepy. <laughs> uh, and, and the reason it's creepy, right, is because they, they gave us all of these gifts, but it turned out that they, they all had strings attached to them. They all had ulterior motives, that what the aliens were interested in was not at all our good. Uh, they, they basically were treating us like cattle. They want us to be fat and happy so that they could eat us, right? And so uh, while it looked like they were interested in our good, at the end it just turned out to be all about them. And the reason that story resonates with us is because on a pretty basic level, we are very suspicious that that is how the world works, that there is no such thing as a free lunch, that everything comes with a string attached to it. We're used to seeing that in the business world. We are even used to seeing that in our relationships. And uh, frankly, we're used to seeing it in religion. Uh, if you've been with us during the season of Lent that prepared us for Easter, we started that, that series in the Garden of Eden, where the first sin was that we were suspicious that God was holding out on us, that all of these good things that God had to offer us actually had strings attached to them, and God had some kind of hidden agenda. That's what we were suspicious of. So even in religion, I think it's difficult for us to know how we can trust God to give us good gifts when we live in a world where there's no such thing as a free lunch. But today's Easter. Today's when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And what we'll see today is that the resurrection proves for us that God can be trusted. 
that Jesus is actually fundamentally different from the world around us and that the law of the universe is not this kill or be killed sort of law of the jungle, right? This eat or be eaten. The law of the universe is love and life. So we're going to start by celebrating that, by rejoicing together and celebrating the resurrection. And then we're going to talk about uh, how the resurrection proves that God is trustworthy. So would you stand and celebrate with us? As the first Christians were trying to wrap their minds around what it meant that Jesus was raised from the dead, uh, pretty quickly they all began to see this as something that God had done in history as a great gift to humanity. And you can see that in, for instance, the letter to the Colossians, where the author is reflecting on what it actually means for us that Jesus was raised from the dead. So I want to begin by reading uh, from chapter 3 of Colossians, uh, just a little bit of that, and then we're going to uh, sort of dive into what exactly this means for us, you know, today in the real world on the ground. The, the author says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, since you are experiencing the resurrection with Jesus, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now, if you're a person of faith, this sounds beautiful, right? Set your mind on things of God. Uh, Look at the heavenly realities, not the things of this earth. If you're a little bit more skeptical about faith, the Twilight Zone music probably just started playing in the back of your head a little bit, right? Like it's a little bit creeped out because it sounds like God is going to like beam us all up and make us into pod people or something like that, right? There's this disconnect that I think is at the heart of this suspicion where we picture heaven. I, I remember growing up, going, uh, whenever we'd go to the grocery store, I couldn't wait to see what was on the cover of Weekly World News as I was going through the checkout line. Right? And they all, like probably once a quarter, they had a, a Hubble Space Telescope image of heaven, right? Caught off in the distance out in space somewhere. And it was this, um, I mean, we didn't have Photoshop back then, but it was a really awesome, like I use that in an ironic sense, uh, you know, this like kind of palatial thing just floating off in distant space, right? Because that, that's how we typically think of heaven. Heaven is this place that's really far away from here. And that's where God is. God is distant. God is removed. If God is looking at us, it's probably with judgment and disapproval. That's heaven. And if you want to go to heaven, then, well, there's a couple of different theories on that. You either try really hard and hope you're good enough, or you believe the right set of things, right? The right set of ideas, and as long as you believe enough of the right ones, uh, then then God is going to scoop you up and take you away from here to go there. Like, that's probably how, that's how I grew up thinking of heaven. That's that's kind of the way we all, in our culture, the way, way we all think of heaven. So we're right to be suspicious, then, of a faith that tells us, don't think about stuff here. Don't, just don't waste your time on it. All you should be doing is like looking off with your head in the holy clouds, right? Ignoring stuff here and just sort of waiting until you die for God to scoop you up and take you away somewhere else. That smells fishy. Fortunately for us, that is not what the author of Colossians meant, what he had in mind when he said, set your eyes on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Because in the Bible, heaven is not this distant, far-off, removed place that we can't access or get to. Uh, in the Bible, heaven is sort of like uh, one of my favorite theologians calls it the control room of reality. It's, it's close. It's near. Uh, people people uh, can experience tastes of heaven, right? Uh, it, heaven is where God is, and it's, it's close because God is with us. God is near. And so... Uh, 
this is difficult for us to get our minds around. It's difficult for me to get my mind around, and I sit in it all the time, I know. So the easiest way I try to think of heaven is heaven is where God is and where things are as God intends them to be, as God is making them to be. Okay, that's why Jesus was able to pray things like, bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, right? Because it's not distant, it's close. So just for our purposes today, heaven is where God is and where things are the way God intends them to be. That's heaven, okay? Not some distant, far off space, space in the clouds. So to think, or to set your mind on the realities of heaven, to think of the things of heaven, not the things of earth, it doesn't mean to be an out-of-touch space cadet, right? It doesn't mean to be some kind of, kind of holier-than-thou person who doesn't value the things in the world, Okay, what it means is to insist on seeing the world as God sees the world. And to insist on seeing the people of the world as God sees the people of the world. It's to insist as living in the world as God is in the world, and not the way we were taught to live in the world. What's the difference? Well, that's a good question. And I want everyone to take a deep breath because it's going to get weird for a minute. But we're going to be okay. We're going to make it through together. Okay? Because we're going to bring in Kesha to help us understand the difference between the way the world is and the way God is in the world. So, Kesha, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you like Kesha. I like Kesha. Okay? But I'm not going to ask you to admit that publicly. Um, Kesha is a pop princess. If you don't know who she is, she makes pop music. And she has this song. Uh, it was on her first album called Cannibal. And the song is about how she enjoys to literally consume her lovers. Okay, so here's what, here's, this is the most church-appropriate lyric I could find. She says, I eat boys up, breakfast and lunch. Then when I'm thirsty, I drink their blood. Carnivore, animal, I am a cannibal. I eat boys up, you better run. Okay, now, Shakespeare, that is not, right? I get it. One of the reasons this song is clever, at least on one level, is because Pop princesses are typically the ones who are consumed by our culture, right? We all know child stars, pop princesses, like we use them up, we spit them out, and then they end up a few years later on Dancing with the Stars or something like that, right? Like that's, that's just sort of how that goes. So it's funny, I mean, it's, it's kind of clever that on one level Kesha is sort of flipping that script and instead of the one who is being consumed as the pop princess, she's the one doing the consuming. That's, that's whatever, okay, that's fun. On a deeper level, though, this song, one of the reasons I resonate with this song so much is it makes explicit what is implicit in our culture, which is that we operate by the law of the jungle. Eat or be eaten, kill or be killed, right? You see this everywhere. There was a time in our world where you could count on working for the same company for your whole life, right? And there was this loyalty that your company felt towards you that went beyond the bottom line. That's not true anymore. It may be true in a couple places, but it's not true most places. And I know many of us in this room have real painful experience of that fact. Even in relationships, this is not always true anymore. Uh, it's actually becoming, uh, not probably not common, but at least more common than it used to be, that uh, in wedding vows, instead of saying, uh, for better, for worse, until death do us part, uh, that, has, that is being replaced in a lot of vows with for better or for worse, as long as there is love. Because we have this idea in relation, that a relationship is all about us, right? You've got to look out for number one. And as long as that other person is meeting your needs, everything's good. But if they stop meeting your needs, then you have not only a right, but maybe even a moral obligation to get out of that relationship. Because, you know, it's all about number one. So as long as there's love. This is the law of the jungle. It's kill or be killed. It's eat or be eaten. And, and Kesha just, you know, she just makes that more explicit. That should trouble us. 
Again, I think, I think that's why the Kesha song, you're like, whoa, right? But on some level, on some level, we know that it's true. So Colossians tells us to set our minds on heavenly realities. And again, that doesn't mean becoming an out-of-touch space cadet. That means that we should think about the world not in these terms, not in terms of the law of the jungle, kill or be killed, eat or be eaten, but in terms of the way of the cross. And the cross, Jesus' death on the cross reveals to us what the way of God is and how it's different from the way of the world. See, Jesus, in a world where people use and abuse, Jesus became one of us, and he gave himself over to be used and abused even to the point of death. He said, I want to show you how this law of the jungle kind of thinking ends. It never ends well. It always ends in a cross and death. We always think we're the ones who are going to consume, but we end up being the ones who are consumed. But Jesus' death, it proves that he's a fundamentally different kind of God than this law of the jungle. It proves that in a world of people who consume, Jesus gives himself up to be consumed. At the supper that he shared with his disciples before he was arrested and executed, he said, this is my body. Take it. Eat it. He said, this is my blood. Take it. Drink it. Consume me. If you need proof that the way of God is better than the way of Kesha, and I suspect you did not need that proof, but if you did, if you are not convinced, the cross is that proof. That where one says, I will take, I will consume. The other one says, take, eat, drink. If you needed proof that God is not some sort of supernatural, souped-up version of those Twilight Zone aliens who's just going to give you a bunch of good things, but it's all a trick. It's all ultimately for his own good, not for your good. If you needed proof that that's not how God is, the cross is that proof. The cross demonstrates for us that God is fundamentally not like the world. That God does not operate by the law of the jungle, but the law of self-giving love. And the resurrection proves that God's way is better. That we can be faithful to follow this way. That even if it costs us our lives, God is one who resurrects, who brings life, even where there is death. So the cross proves who God is. And the resurrection proves that it's a better way, a better way to live. So what does it look like for us to set our eyes on the realities of heaven? Well, it means that we insist on seeing the world as God sees the world. We see people not as objects to be consumed, not as things to use for our own benefit, but as people who bear God's image to whom God calls us into relationship. Now, I would love, personally, you would not love it, but I would love to stand up here and wax philosophically and theologically about the big picture, about why the cosmic implications of Jesus' resurrection, right? But I think it's more important that we talk about what it means for us in our real lives on the ground. Because if Jesus' resurrection doesn't change how we live in the real world, then I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's much good. I don't know that it's much actual hope. And so I want, to, uh, I want to give you sort of an idea of what this can look like, how we can begin to set our eyes on the realities of heaven instead of on the realities of earth. Think like God instead of think the way the world does. Um, 
there's this thing that I like to do. It's, it's fun. Uh, I, I call it uh, acts of secret service, which sounds like a government agency, but it's not. It's, you probably figured it out, right? But it's, it's you do things for people, you serve them, but you try to do it without getting any sort of attention or knowledge or recognition. So this could be like paying for someone in the drive-thru behind you, right? Or uh, doing some extra chores around the house, just, you know, just doing them. Uh, or there are apparently some people in the congregation who are enjoying sending uh, anonymous cookie deliveries to people, which is something I highly endorse. Um, snickerdoodle, in case you're curious. Uh, you do these things, and then you don't post about it, you don't brag about it, you do your best not to get caught, because you're trying to do things, you're trying to do these things, you're trying to give good gifts with no possibility of return for you, with no strings attached, with no way that it actually comes back good for you. Because that's how God gives. And so when we give like that, when we go out of our way to figure out something to do that can embody that, we actually begin to become like God. And, and not, not in the way that the serpent told us that we would in the garden, right? Not in this, in this way that, it, that involves distrusting God and trying to usurp God's place, but in the way that God invites us to be like him where we follow Jesus to the cross, where we engage in these acts of self-sacrifice, even if they're small, right? But just small, everyday, ordinary acts of self-sacrifice where in little, little, little ways we pick up our crosses and we follow after Jesus. And then we trust that if we give in a way that is sacrificial, we give in a way that hurts, we give in a way that doesn't, doesn't come back good for us in any way, right? We trust that somehow God works resurrection in that. Because that's what God does. In that way, we begin to become a people of resurrection. Not simply because we assent to a historical fact that 2,000-ish years ago, Jesus' dead body walked out of a tomb alive and well. We do assent to that, right? But it's not just like academic knowledge. It's because we begin to be transformed in our everyday lives, in our cubicles, in our homes, in our relationships, we begin to experience this resurrection power bursting forth all over the place. And we realize that Easter, though it is a historical event, is also a present reality. Easter is the day that snatches heaven out of the distant far somewhere up there and brings it into our reality so that everywhere we go, heaven is bursting forth all around us. And we become a resurrection people. We become a people who insist that the law of the universe is life. Not kill or be killed, not eat or be eaten. And so we can give ourselves in love to the people around us, trusting that even if that involves a cross, God brings life, God brings resurrection. That's what Easter is about. And so I want to invite you this morning as a response to the good news of Easter to approach the communion table with me. Uh, this table is where Jesus demonstrates that he is fundamentally unlike the way of the world. That the way of heaven is the way of giving himself over to be consumed, not eat or be eaten. At the table that he shared with his disciples, he broke bread and he passed it to them. And he said, this bread is my body broken for you. Take and eat it. He passed a cup of wine and he said, this wine is a blood, my blood, poured out as a, a new covenant. Poured out as the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink it. We come to the table to receive from God life freely, abundantly, with no strings attached. We find here a God who is ultimately trustworthy, who has no secret agenda that he has not made known to us. 
And so because of his death and resurrection, we are able to receive from him life and hope and grace. And you don't have to be a member of Catalyst to receive communion with us today. If you are someone who says today, I want, I want to set my sights on the reality of heaven. I don't want to live in a kill or be killed kind of world. I don't want to live in a world where everyone is at the service of someone else's agenda. I want to live in the freedom to love, to give, that Christ makes available. Then you are welcome to come to the table today. I'm going to pray for us. And then as you're ready, you're welcome to come forward and receive uh, communion. So let's pray together. God, on this morning that we have gathered to celebrate your resurrection from death, your victory over sin, evil, and the grave, we pause to acknowledge what a beautiful mystery it is that you would not let even death keep you from loving us. That when your son Jesus was faithful to your way, that when he refused to objectify or to participate in the world of biting and clapping, uh, clawing and scratching for love and attention when he refused all of that and, and, and we killed him for that. Even then you raised him from death to demonstrate once and for all that your way is better. And God, we have seen this morning that it's so, it's so obvious that your way is better. We all know the pain of living in a world of kill or be killed, a law of the jungle kind of a world and we're tired of that world. We have seen the promise of life that you make through your son's Jesus' resurrection, and we want that life. So we approach your table this morning hungry and thirsty for love, for the gift of life that you offer with no strings attached, with no hidden agenda. We ask that these wafers and juice become a spiritual food that helps us to see the world as you see the world, to see people as you see people, so that we may live in the world as you live in the world, so that we will not be afraid to take up our crosses and follow you because we know that on the other side of the cross is an empty tomb. As we approach today, may your spirit make us a resurrection people that you can send out into this world as ambassadors of this grace and this love. May we be a people who loves with no strings attached, with no hidden agendas, so that everyone that we meet may also know the good news that we have received this morning. We offer these prayers and we approach your table this morning in the powerful and resurrected name of your son, Jesus. Back for that. And as you're going, I just want to give you some homework. Uh, we talked about, I talked about those acts of secret service, right, where that, that helps us to become more and more like Jesus. So I want to challenge you this week to take time for the next uh, seven days, every day, to do some sort of act of secret service. Okay, plan it. Plan some time and think, is it, is it someone that you work with, someone in your home, uh, uh, someone that you love but are, are, is not nearby? What, what can you do to serve them, maybe, maybe even someone that you don't like, right? If you want to get real crazy. How can you serve them? How can you do something for them with no strings attached, with no way of it coming back to you? I would tell you to, to share about it, but you're not supposed to do that, right? So just, I'll take you at your word. Um, but as you do those things, as you really every day set aside time to ask, how can I love? How can I serve? How can I give in a way that it doesn't come back good for me in any way? You will be amazed at how you begin to see the world as God sees the world. How you begin to see people as God sees people. Because when we serve in that way, we become like God. And God makes us more and more into the image of Jesus himself. So Catalyst says you go today, go into a world that believes that the law of the jungle is as good as it gets. 
go showing them that you know a better law, the law of love. And as you, as you go, as you show them, may they come to know this God who loves you and who has rescued you and who has 